Hi, Jane. Can you hear me? Hello, loud and clear. You hear me? Wow. Well, well, amazing. I'm always bracing for like when I do a virtual session, like there's a bit of dead air before the, the guest comes on, but you were straight on it. On it like a car bonnet. On it like a car bonnet. <laughs> Hi everyone, um, and thank you for um, listening to uh, my final episode of season one of Rainbows and Bullshit. I can't, I'm getting quite emotional actually. Um, when I set up uh, the podcast, I, I remember when I did my first episode, I was in um, Spain <laughs> with my friend and I kind of wanted to just get my, I wanted to profile amazing people and have really great conversations. And that was really, that was it. There wasn't any more science to the to the reason of me putting this podcast together. And I just feel so overwhelmed and so incredibly grateful that I've had brilliant speakers come and share their stories um, with us over the last, you know, I mean, since October last year. So it's been nearly a year. So I just wanted to start by saying thank you to everyone who's, um, you know, been part of that journey. And actually, we are not stopping with the brilliant speakers. We have the incredible Joan Lockwood with us this morning. Hi, Joan. Hi, Wish. Absolute pleasure to be here. And I, I feel sad with you. You finally got me on and I'm the bookend of the, of the first series. So, no, absolute, absolute well, I know I know that um, with you on, it's going to make for a, a fantastic episode, which I've no doubt people are going to be um, hopefully listening to over the summer. Um, so thanks for having having some thanks for being with with with, with us at Rainbows and Bullshit. Um, I'll start. So. So, so obviously my name is Wush, um, pronouns he, him, his. Um, I'm going to hand over to Joan, actually, because I make a habit of not introducing my guests, Joan. I let them do that. So talk to us. Um, introduce yourself. The floor is yours. <laughs> wow. Where do I start? Um, let me give you the uh, the potted version, because I, I could introduce myself for an hour. So uh, <clears throat> my name is Joanne Lockwood. Uh, I use the pronouns she and her. Uh, Without any bullshit going on, I identify as a trans woman. I be I transitioned. Um, yeah, but there's never a point where you transition. You kind of transition for the rest of your life. But I goes. Mm. I guess I kind of dumped myself onto the world as me beginning of 2017, where I kind of launched myself into on, onto into my new existence. If you like, um, I'm an inclusion belonging specialist. So I work with organisations throughout the UK, Europe, and actually further afield, Australia, uh, North America. And I promote, um, as I say, inclusion and belonging. So but, but the output of that for me is positive people experiences. That's yeah. what DNI is all about. That's what mm-hmm. HR should be about, positive people yeah. experiences. So that's candidate experience in the, in the talent acquisition recruiting space, employee experience, making sure that we're treating our people fairly and properly. And we think about customer experience. You know, we, we always focus on customer experience, but there's an inclusion and belonging element to that as well. Yeah. So our stakeholders and anybody where there's a person or people involved, you're going to think about the experience that they have in their organisation. So that's, that's what I talk to people about. I, I keynote, I train, I consult, critical friend stuff. And of course, surprise, surprise, podcast. Just like <laughs> Well, I mean, I, what an incredible um, depth and breadth of um, just, you know, stuff that you, you cover and that global reach um, that you have is, is fantastic. I don't know if you can lean in a bit more, Joanne, to the, your mic. Um, just to get that clearer sound for people. Okay, um, I can lean as much as you like. Yeah, the there you go. 
perfect. The headphones are actually in my ear, so I can't hear into my. So uh, <laughs> I'll speak louder. Hopefully, you can hear that's me. That's amazing. Yeah, that's much, that is brilliant. Fantastic. Uh, well, thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for being on the show. I guess, um, I, uh, you know, just for just for just for context, I met Joanne. Oh God, Joanne was it twenty nineteen? Um, I think we did a Budweiser or Heineken event somewhere um, in London, um, didn't we? Yes, of course. That was um, our Ida Hobbit, International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia, wasn't yeah. it? Um, yes. And yes, oh my God, yes. And I was on the panel with you, wasn't I? Yes, um, yes. and uh, Paul Deemer from NHS employees yes. was there. And, yes. Yeah, that was where kind of we got, we, well, our, our relationship started all those years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. And you were then. Um, and so this is all happening. Yeah, this was the summer of 2019. And you know, that's only three years ago. It feels like the whole world. I mean, you know, and you, like everyone I speak to, um, you know, from that era, it's been three years. And I have to remind myself and them that it's been only three years. It feels like a lot longer. Uh, I, it's hard to remember because the, the, the COVID two years, it's mm. like it's an they're just like it didn't happen so everything in 2019 yeah. feels like it was last year not yeah. three years ago and it's a really yeah. weird feeling and and i think the other thing is because we've all kept in touch online with things yeah. on facebook or linkedin yeah we're not strangers i mean i know what you've been up to you know what i've been up to yeah so absolutely we chat we're not we're not trying to play the whole three years back we're yeah, just playing absolutely. oh i see you i see you've got a cat i see you've got a dog or you're doing this you just moved yeah, home. Yeah. We, we know about each other's lives so it's so absolutely. much easier these days absolutely you're right and it is that it's that it's that virtual connection i think that yeah you, you forget actually just you know um you know how long it's actually really been you know or, or yeah because you keep yeah absolutely um very good point and actually i remember my first ever so 2019 was a bit of a year for me it was my 30th birthday year that year um I kind of got into this mindset of like ramping my life up like to a million. And I was like, I need to do all these things because I'm 30 now and I need to just get everything out. Don't looking back at it now, I'm like, what? Like, why did I do that? But one of them was joining the COPD committee and uh, uh, running my first ever diversity and inclusion event. Um, and and you were on the panel, um, Joanne. Do you remember that? Um, was that in my the first ever... near, near Yeah, yeah. The, yes, uh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, right yeah, down. yeah. I, I to this day I get um, told off by my treasurer because <laughs> I spent a considerable amount of the budget on gin, um, on a gin bar. I always find that if I've had a couple of drinks before I'm on the panel, I get a bit more, bit more honest. You know, oh. I, my, my, my reserve goes. <laughs> I, I, I speak from the heart a bit more. So. <laughs> It probably helped because I remember having a bit of a disagreement with them, one of the other panelists. It was yeah, kind of so age, I remember that. Ages, it was a bit of an ageism going on. I said, hang on a minute, you can't have this, you can't generalise because someone's young, they're not capable of doing a senior role. And it's kind of... It yeah, like, yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I, rem I remember that point as well, um, which made it such a lively, it, that was that was what made it so, you know, authentic. I mm. think it was such an incredible first ever event um for me to run and three years on and you know i know you you basically have taken over the world quite literally <laughs> um which must be so exciting for you are you excited about where you are in life yeah it's little old me you know it, 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 like like many people and i'm 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 happy to admit 
I have massive imposter syndrome, massive limiting beliefs. And that, that started you know, when I gender transitioned because you, you, will people accept me for who I am? Okay. I mean, I, I built up a career, I built up a reputation in my old life and I was doing IT and all this. So I kind of had a life and a reputation. You gender yeah. transition, you, you've blown all of that life worth of, uh, of network, if you like, you have to rebuild that. And yeah. I, I went from IT to DNI and HR and I'm going, hang on a minute, what does this new kid on the block know? So, yeah, massive imposter syndrome. So where I am now, I, I wake up, I, I've, I've got some amazing contacts. I was uh, at an all-day festival yesterday for recruiters. Yeah. And uh, the people I know, you suddenly realise you've got this global network. And not only the network, but people who know who you are. Because that's what yeah. I've heard this term, when you do networking, it's not about who you know. It's about who knows you. Yeah, and I, I realise that a lot of people know me. And it's such a powerful feeling. To be changing people's minds and attitudes uh, yeah through what i do I, I actually feel that difference i make yeah absolutely absolutely and and you know I, you know I'm, I'm certainly one of uh someone that has you know you you've really impacted my my understanding i think of, of so many things um but, but not least of all because of just who you are and i think that's fantastic you know in terms of your approach and how you you know how you how you communicate as well you know I think that's you know gravitate towards that kind of energy I think you know you've you really shaped some of my um early, especially early experiences and I, I get what you're saying with that imposter syndrome piece I've been in HR mm. for you know over a decade but I haven't been in EDNI for anywhere near enough like that, that that amount of time and it's you know it's it's a different game it's you know it's 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 um and obviously, you know, recently, you know, with everything that we've seen, the efforts that we're seeing on the EDNI front, um, it's, you know, it's a, it's its own, you know, it's its own profession, of course, it's its own discipline. And uh, I think um, me educating myself, you've been part of that for me, um, you know, in terms of building equitable workplaces and and, and um, environments where people truly can, you know, you know, um, thrive really and flourish. Mm. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. And so I mean, I know your story, and and I think it's incredibly powerful. Um, but I think it might be worth our listeners um, hearing a little bit more about your your story um, and, and your transition. Yeah, um, I feel like one of those cartoons where they sort of like you know they go all wiggly lines and you <laughs> go back in time, so like, uh, or, or the Bobby Ewing waking from the shower scene sort of thing. Yeah, it's um, yeah. So I, I mean, I. I I was born up in a, uh, uh, I would say, a typical lower middle class family. Father was in the Navy and became mm. a school teacher. My mum was, was a, a stay at home mum for much right. of my life and became a school teacher as well. So I was kind of brought up in that kind of lower middle class school teacher type environment. The, the, the queerest thing we had was probably, oh, I don't think there was anything queer in our lives at all. Maybe the Christmas <laughs> decorations were the most colourful things we ever had in our home. <laughs> Um, where were you? where was this? Where where did you? This was a um, just outside of a place called Portsmouth. If you're listening to that okay. outside the UK, so Southern yeah. England, Hampshire, right. um, and it, well, it's, a, it's a towny village. It's, a village sounds quaint. This was like a a small uh, uh, housing estate off off of the town. So yeah, it was right. a it was middle class ish. I went to a typical secondary school. Um, had a a, a pretty uh, unimpressive set of O-level results at the time. Um, I was kind of going through that kind of, I don't know what's going on with my life when I was a teenager. I, I became, I was either full on 
I got it. I wanted it. I was driven by it or I was off. There was no middle ground for me. So the subject mm. I was on, I was mm. getting A's. The subject right. I was off, I was getting E's and F's right. and ungraded. Okay. So, I was a real, real polarised personality. And uh, mm. I, left, I, left, I left home to join the RAF uh, at 16. I, I, it's not that. It's not, I had a terrible relationship with my father. I just didn't have a great relationship with him. And, and I, I felt the need to move out at that time. So I joined the Royal Air Force. Yeah. Okay. Um, but up to this point in my life, I, I figured out when I, I don't know, I got memories of infant school, you know, when I was six or seven years old, um, experimenting with uh, the dressing up box and wearing the skirts and the dresses and the dressing up box, things like this. And, and it, I, I, don't know, I don't know how significant that was, but I've got these very early memories of, of that kind of thought. At, at that age, questioning, mm. questioning my expression, if you like. And of course, I'm very conscious now, you know, 57 years later or 50 years later, not trying to not trying to rewrite my history or not trying to rewrite what I was thinking. Yeah. But yeah, it kind of it kind of grew, and throughout, I suppose, my my pre my pre puberty, my early puberty, and into my teens, I was definitely um, experimenting with my gender presentation, right, the thoughts in my head. Um, yeah, this is early seventies. Yeah, you know, there was no, there's no internet, no YouTube, no, mm. no, no smartphones. So all the, all the only research I had was some open university programs that were on daytime telly uh, when I was uh, on school holidays or things like that, or my parents went around. So there was, there was just nothing out there. Okay. But I, I remember, I remember seeing something around. I can't remember what it's called. It's it around a uh, some trans uh, surgery. Um, right. Like talking about it, and I remember that being really, really powerful to me. And it mm. kind of, I was just drawn into it. I was, and, and, and it became something in my life that I thought, there's something about that. And then I, yeah. I got, as I, as I grew up, you know, you, you watch films like Freaky Friday, body swap films. And mm. uh, I, I used to love Quantum Leap when Sam Beckett jumped into the body of a woman. And it was kind of, this is just, I was almost like into this fantasy land of that's what I need to happen. I need to have a brain transplant. I need to have a, <laughs> yeah. I need someone to go suck my psyche out and inject it to somebody else. And then I mm. can be the person I'm meant to be. Yeah, okay. And, it, and this was kind of in my head all my life. And uh, I think, you know, you get on with, but then, then life comes on, doesn't it? You you, you, uh, you meet someone, you get married, mm. um, you buy a house, you get commitments, the children come along. And so all of this kind of stuff where there was no, there was no real materialism to it. It just, it was just something in your head. Mm. Just gets kind of buffed around and then it's only in quiet moments. It, it resurfaces and but it was, I suppose, in my mid forties, where Facebook was at twenty two thousand seven, internet started coming along, um, forums and support groups. And it was about twenty fourteen that I started actively trying to figure shit out. You know, like these doing these online tests. Yeah, you know, are you transsexual or not? Type tests. Mm-hmm. You know, this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And I was kind of willing myself to be trans enough yeah and, okay. and never not quite passing the test i was like oh i felt disappointed that i wasn't trans enough for the test you know right um okay. so i was disappointed myself and i think then i grew a beard i i don't want to it was a pretty impressive beard in 2014 i, I was kind <laughs> of i couldn't look at myself in the mirror with a beard and take myself seriously as a woman so it was kind okay. of my way of, of, of forcing myself into the male, male okay uh, okay or, yeah yeah, and then uh, I think what happened was I, I thought, yeah, I'm cured. I've fixed myself. I've, I've put myself in a box. Mm. Let me uh, let me just pack away all the other parts of me that I don't use anymore. 
and okay. take them to the charity shop and all that. And uh, that act of um, rediscovering all the things made me think, nah, I'm mm-hmm. just kidding myself. This is, yeah. this is, this is me. Yeah. So you, you hear about trans people going through purges and, and starting again and yeah. beating yeah. themselves up. And, and I, I did that once. And uh, so that day I shaved my beard off and decided that I needed to do something. This is a, this is a, a trajectory that was in my life. Yeah. And I'd already, I'd already told my wife, Marie, about a year and a half, two years before. Um, it didn't land badly. It was kind of like, okay. Okay. At the time, it was like a hobby. I was playing golf, right. going, going fishing. It was manageable. It was once a week. It was kind of occasional. And uh, so 2014, 2015, Marie said to me, let me take you to a trans support group. Um, okay. part, part of the Beaumont Society, I think it was, in, in the Portsmouth area. So yeah. I met other people in a pub. Yeah, I, I went out my first ever night out, 25th of May, I think it was, 2015, if I remember right. I was scared. I was absolutely frightened of, uh, of people sort of seeing me. But Marie dropped me off. She, she checked it was normal. She checked it wasn't some sort of a some sort of a fetish club or anything like that or dangerous. Yeah. So she, she, she had a quick check. She hung around for a bit. Said, Are "You okay?" And she just disappeared and left me to it. And I, I met some friends. I had conversations with people. I thought the stories are the same. The same things mm. going on in the head. And these are clever people. These are not. It's, there's nothing yeah. wrong with these people. They're, they're, they're just average people. And I thought, yeah. I'm okay. It's, it's real. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was the beginning. Uh, 2015, I, I I I came out to my children um, July 2016. Okay. And then a week later, I got drunk and posted on Facebook, hey, everybody, I'm trans, get over it, type, type comment. Um, right. And that was kind of, yeah, July the 23rd, 2016 was the day I... It's in my diary, and I call it Trans Day or out, Trans Out Day, and that was the okay. day I was top of the world. And then, wow. yeah, and uh, I, I needed a plan, and I, I, I needed to get out of my life or change yeah. my life. And I decided that the, the big red line I had was my family. Mm. That was the one part of my life I wasn't up for sacrifice. It was kind of yeah. okay. red line. My wife, my family, I, I was prepared to my reputation, my job, business, everything. It was that important to me. It was single focused. And yeah. I always held that inside me that my wife, my family, my children, my close family were not for sacrifice. They were not, they were not going to be a casualty of this. And that was, okay. that was the challenge. Um, and it wasn't easy. You know, as, as a family, we had uh, some very tough times. We took part in a documentary, my wife and I, called The Making of Me, which was broadcast okay. in 2019. Right. Uh, which, and we also featured on Gogglebox as well as a result of that. Um, okay. So yeah, the, the goggle box, goggle boxes in, uh, dissected us on the on the on the on the documentary that went out on the Monday. Right, uh, it was a novel experience. And yeah, and uh, it took it took my wife and I probably a couple of years to get to the point where we're kind of comfortable. My daughter, mm. she really struggled. She really struggled with that. And uh, right. we, we were, I was kind of excommunicated for about two years. I missed right. out on some Christmases. I missed out on birthdays. I missed out on some some great times with my daughter. Okay, but then. Time's a great healer. Things happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, a situation arose where she needed her dad, and I'm still her dad, mm. more than she needed the anxiety of avoiding me. So yeah. everything got fixed. I gave her away at a wedding last year. Oh, uh, wow. Down the aisle, gave us gave a speech. Congrats. And I was the proudest parent alive, and it was absolutely fantastic. So we're, we're now functioning as a family. But in the midst yeah. of all that, I sold yeah. my business. I sold my IT company with my business partners. Yeah. And... Uh, 
myself up as, as a, a DNI uh, specialist, initially focusing on trans awareness, but now, as, as we said already, I, 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 I work with people, people um, across the spectrum. So yeah, it's a, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the quick version. <laughs> and what an incredible, well, oh God, I just get so emotional because I remember, you know, parts of your story when, when I've, when we was, we've been on panels together in the past, but what I have so many questions, so many questions. It's so brilliant to, and, and I'm so proud that we have you in the DNI space um, that we get to um, really benefit from what you're giving because mm. it's not just, you know, it's not just, um, I say this to every DNI, DNI expert that I have the, the, the honor of, of having on my shows or, or, or working with is it's our lived experience and it's our identities that are, dead, are driving um, the work that we do. And so that is, that takes a lot of, uh, uh, it takes a lot out of you. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's fantastic to hear how you've, how you've made your story your own, if this makes sense, how you've, yeah. how you're, how you're using your, how that's, you know, how that's showing up for you, how you're, how you're showing up for, 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 you know, um, the world. <laughs> um, so that's incredible. Can I just do a little shout out here? I think a little shout out here to Marie, um, from the sounds of the support you you know via your very potted kind of overview of, of your incredible story she seems amazing i think so and uh she undervalues uh herself i like like most people do uh you, you're not brave until you look back uh the time when you're going through this it's and yeah, yeah. She, she she when we got married in uh, 1987 so 35 years ago this year wow she had a an expectation of getting married, having children, mm. children grow up, having grandchildren, yeah. growing old together, and walking along the seafront with holding hands. And yeah. Kind of every kind of married couple's kind of long-term dream. And then I came along 25, 26 later and said, hang on a minute, everything you've all, everything you believed in, every dream you have has now changed. Mm. And you've got no mm. control over it. And mm. for her to, to overcome her anxiety to overcome her limiting beliefs, to overcome her her own sexuality, how she saw herself, because she, yeah. she had to come to terms with, you know, being blunt, waking up with another pair of boobs in the bed. Yeah. So she had she had to come up with that, and the the visual image of her husband and partner uh, changing completely. Yeah, I, I went absolutely. from being a, a bit rough and smelly and 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 uh, grumpy to being kind of. Um, I don't know. I, I went to a, a teenage teenage years again. I was partying, short dresses, boots <laughs> out. Um, it, it was like a nightmare. It was like living with a, living with a teenager. And uh, she went through a tough time. And it's and whilst trying to cope with the loss of me and adapting to this crazy new bird that was living with her, it was a tough time. And, and yeah, I mean, she is, has been a tower of strength. And she will fight to the death for me now. She will. If, if someone gives me a glare in a shop in the supermarket, or you, you, you get that sort of like someone looking over their glasses at you, she's she's given them the padding to stare back. Call it, call it. I'm, I'm ready yeah. for you. So looks no. like, but no, oh. she's absolutely amazing. And it, you know, and wow, let I me, mean, you know, what what a, what a um, an incredible ally. Um, you know, um, so yeah, that's a huge shout to me. So, so I mean, oh, because I could, I could talk, I could, you know, I forget um, how much we can chat about how. Um, <laughs> and actually, one of the things I was keen to talk about was that some of the issues that are affecting the trans community right now. I think it's been a really 
Um, so my point of view on this, and I think it's important to say it, is uh, is there there so so from an LGB standpoint, there is no LGB without the T. That's that's mm. that is you know from my I think that's something that I think being a member of the, the LGBT community is something I want I want to just really put out there, and and I obviously you know ha, you know follow the issues of of course, um, but to those that are listening who potentially don't know the issues that impact in the trans community or don't really have the i guess the understanding of of those issues what what are some of those issues that are impacting the the community right now the trans community um i think if we it's a kind of a toxic environment mm, and okay so it's i often think of it as like uh stepping out into into a hurricane there's full force this wind it's hitting you in the face it's blowing mm. in your eyes mm. every time i step out the front door this this someone's slapping me around the face with okay. doubting my existence telling me I'm, I'm a threat telling me i'm not welcome tell me i'm not woman enough telling me i'm uh and, and it's not directed at me but this is the impact because it's directed at trans mainly trans women mainly, mm, okay. really trans masculine people I know, I know I'm not ignoring, I'm not saying they don't get some transphobic remarks on them, but the, the, the stuff we get in, in the press, the stuff we get uh, all over the Twitter and social media, etc., is is predominantly aimed by people who would describe themselves as gender critical. Right. It, it can manifest itself as being anti-trans and, and right. it, it is relentless. And I think the other, the other problem is when we, when you, when you live in a trans community or within trans communities we tend to like to amplify the crap as well mm. so I, I see more transphobic and more more gender critical stuff by other trans people sharing it than I ever right. see from the original source right. it's just that we want to say hey everybody you've seen it's in this horrible piece of poo you've seen this horrible piece of poo yeah okay uh, so sometimes I have to turn the dial down on some of my friends and say actually I know it's there. I don't need to be reminded. So we, mm. we see this all the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, we got, we, yeah, I say our prime minister. He's not our prime minister anymore. We is a bit. So Boris was talking about, <laughs> Boris tuned in to any you know, trans women, you know, shouldn't be in, in sport. Um, and then Rishi Sunak said something. We got the, the chair, the Equality and Human Rights Commission. We've got a Baroness this, Baroness that, Lord mm. this in the House of Lords, making shitty right. remarks. We've got people in our, we've got the Attorney General, uh, in yeah. our government, stirring up crap. Um, so we've got all these people in respective positions within our government, mm. basically mm. saying trans people need to be looked at. We want to start talking about changing the Equality Act. We've got review guidance for the Equality and Human Rights Commission about trans inclusion. Mm. Just yes, just yesterday, the Maya Four started case. She won her appeal. Right, so, yeah, yeah. And so all of this stuff is going on. We've got the Kira Bell versus the Tavistock. So trying to attack um, young the pathway for young trans people uh, getting uh, medical uh, support yeah. and a transition at an early age. We've got doctors being called into question. We've got um, um, Helen Webberley from Gender D GP almost being struck off for, for mm. supporting trans trans people mm. in their transition. Yeah, so it must feel like we're being bombarded from every angle. No matter what we do, mm. we're being told that we're a threat to women. We're, yeah. we're erasing women's spaces. We're redefining what a woman is. When we're attacking people, there's this suddenly that we've got this defence of sex-based rights going on. We've got right. we've even got world-famous published authors who write children's stories mm. funding some of this shit. We've got yeah. pro bono barristers, pro bono solicitors mm. joining in this, and, yeah. and we're accused of being 
angry activist. Well, hang on a minute, I'm not attacking anybody. I'm just trying to defend my existence. And yeah, if, that, if, that, if that gets me frustrated, it's because I, I, defend, I have to defend myself every day. And I was, I was at this event yesterday, four or 5,000 people there. And people keep coming up to me going, Joe, just tell me about this. It's like, oh. It's that, it's that microaggression of having to explain and justify yourself. Someone says, oh, what do you think about trans people in sport? I go, I'm here for another... I don't, to, I don't want to spend the whole day talking about trans people in sport. Yeah. We need to we need to come up with something practical. We need to get yeah. something that works. And yeah. Just, yeah. You know, listen to Lord Coe, he's, you know, Sebastian Coe. He said, if I have to choose between inclusion and fairness, I choose fairness. Yeah, OK. And I think, That's... hang on, it can't we have fairness that includes... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Not, it should be exclusionary. And I think, um, how can we get around the table, have these conversations? Yeah, yeah agreed. And put these arguments to bed for us. But so this, yeah, this is the rant, if you like, about the, the, what I and other trans people wake up. And, mm. and let alone the experience that people with non-binary face around mm. misgendering, mm. people not understand. You know, it's, it's hard enough getting head around a trans woman or a trans man, you know, binary yeah. trans. But sometimes yeah. I don't do gender at all. It's like, Everyone's, you can see their brains popping and going, how yeah. can you not have a gender? Ah, it doesn't yeah. compute. Yeah, absolutely. And it, 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 as, you, as you've... Um... And we welcome rants, by the way. We love rants here in Rainbows of Bullshit. Um, so I love, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, yes, this is the space. This is, this is the space. Um, it's really hostile. The, the world right now, we're in, in the, you know, specifically for the trans community. You know, I, I feel it as someone outside of the trans community. So God yeah. knows, um, how, you know, um, how that, you know, how, how, what that feels like for you. Um, so I guess practical. You know, you touched on practical steps, and so. So people listening to this, I'm hoping, are, are able to um, do something in their organisations um, to um, foster more in inclusive environments. What kind of things would you would you suggest to support trans inclusion in the workplace? Uh, I think robust, acceptable language guidelines. Um, what, what, I mean, one of the things that came out of my full starter case yesterday was that she won her appeal because there was not clear guidance on a person's responsibility in her in their workplace. So they almost said that because she wasn't giving clear instructions, it was unfair to retrospectively tell her her views weren't welcome. Yeah. So if you have, if you know what your what, what views you welcome, what views you don't welcome in your workplace, by being explicit about what you as an organisation stand for, we believe trans women are women, trans men are men, non-binary people are fantastic, and we have a zero tolerance on anybody who brings transphobic remarks into the office, um, mm. uh, homophobia, whatever, whatever remarks we're getting. Yeah. And and the implication of bringing those views into the workplace are this. Mm. And the same goes about racism, sexism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We need to have clear and explicit. This is what we stand for. This is the expectation yeah. we have as an organisation about who, how you show up. And you cannot weaponize your views. Yes, you're entitled to have your beliefs. You're looking, you can go off to your little private club or have your friends around and, 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 and talk about whatever you want to talk about. But when you bring it into the public domain, mm. when you bring it into your social media, when, you, when it becomes out and open, we've got to yeah. think about the impact that has on colleagues, how people, yeah. they're now working. You know, we, we talk about bringing yourself to work, we talk about psychological safety. Mm. If I have to work with somebody who, who I know has critical views about me, how am I going to feel? Yeah, okay. work, the, whole, the whole office is going to be toxic. So I think the ruling for me that came out yesterday is very clear. Organisations need to have really strong, robust 
policies and expectations. Then we can do education around those policies. We can do trans 101s. We can do education around why pronouns are important. We can do education yeah. around what's dead naming and you know, kind of the, the basic trans etiquette, if you like. Yeah. Make sure yeah. leaders are trained in conflict resolution, in dealing with these and stamping it out. Yeah. Because I, I don't want to weaponize my view against someone who wants to weaponize their view against me. So somehow yeah. we need to be able to diffuse that yeah and get to a point where we can all coexist yeah i i've I, I applied to someone on, I think on linkedin earlier i said i don't i don't like everybody i don't like if i don't respect everybody's views i don't expect everyone to like me or respect my views that's that's the way the world is yeah so what we have to do is work out a way we can coexist absolutely without without friction yeah and, but we have respect for each other respect each other's um, perspectives I have to expect their view. I can, I can respect their perspective of why they think something. Yeah. It's not what they think. So no, I think that's that's really key for me is, is talking about that. So yeah, zero tolerance and uh, critical views on, on all sides. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, leadership training and, uh, and awareness talks and lived experience, talks, all of that kind of momentum. Yeah. Um, and, and we give people the tools in which to be able to call this out, allyship. Yeah. Um, helping people become comfortable where they're feeling uncomfortable, give them safe space to ask questions. So all of these are kind of good ways, you know, in, in the DNI space, this is what we would do for other, many other characteristics. When we talk about menopause, we talk about racism, we talk about whatever we want to talk about is creating familiarity and normalization. Mm. So we can have yeah. these conversations. Absolutely. And um, I'm going to plug you here because sea change happen clearly is, um, um, able to provide that level of support for those that potentially are exploring how that looks and feels for them in their organizations am i right exactly that's that's exactly what we do with organizations and uh we go in we do audits we do reviews we uh we just a critical friend work uh we, we look at policy and one of my big bugbears about policy is that they're generally <laughs> written to, to to tell to, to police people back into boxes you know one person's made a mistake and something everybody has a policy yeah absolutely so uh, yeah agreed putting the inclusion lens on how does that policy make people feel is it absolutely. positive experience so I, I, and I also put inclusion lens on those a hundred percent i'm i'm on i'm nodding i know there's no video here but i'm nodding vigorously because i've got the exact same and um, which makes me quite an interesting uh, hr professional um on how policies police, as you say. Um, also, I would at this point I want to, you know, say for if you're doing a trans policy, can you please get a trans individual to actually co-create that policy with you, and 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 see it from that perspective? Because you, you, and and this I guess is applicable to any typical policy that that that, that is impacting any particular group of people. Co-creation is so important if you're going to get, you know, if you're building inclusion in the workplace. Completely, 100%. I mean, we, we have many large organizations and even SMEs have resource groups, staff networks, we have pride networks. And what can happen is some of these networks that have been established in the world tend to be dominated by LGB people, not, not mm. trans people. Mm. And when the organization is, is running running a policy or running some guidance through their, 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 their network, it doesn't always have a trans lens. And, I, yeah. and, and, and I've got a huge respect for my LGB siblings and sisters and, and colleagues uh, but you, you're going to see it through the, the, the lived experience of somebody and I, and I would always encourage as you say to get a trans lens on it because I, I, I was talking I was at a, a conference of the week it was a housing conference and some housing associations um, 
it went very well meaning on a panel they said oh yeah we do lots of lgbt inclusion we organized drag bingo and i said well hang on a minute <laughs> drag bingo is not trans inclusion drag <laughs> bingo is, is kind of rooted in gay culture but not necessarily in trans culture so yeah because think about it is it's how does how do i who has an identity not an expression as such as my primary primary driver have to it then feels represented by an expression of art and, mm-hmm. and it's like mm, hang on a minute it's it's yeah, I love RuPaul. I've, I've been to see the live show um, yeah. in a theatre, but I'm, it doesn't rep, it doesn't represent me. Yes, there are trans non-binary people who take part in RuPaul and Drag Race, but it doesn't represent us as such. It, it's, yeah. it's a different culture. Yeah. I think all we have to understand is what is inclusive for LGB people misses some of the challenges that the, the T people often have. Yeah, uh, certainly it misses what's going on in the world at the moment. The toxicity. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's easy being queer outside of being trans, but it, we kind of matured a bit in the last few years. I'd like to think we're, we're further ahead than we were ever before. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think um, you well, you've mentioned you, you covered that so eloquently in terms of um, uh, the LGB experiences, um, you know, and let's not forget that the rights that we have fought so hard for was started, you know, Stonewall started a movement, and I, I want to mention this, that, you know, that was started by black trans women. Mm. Um, so it's so important to recognise that, um, you know, we need to show up and provide allyship, let's say, in our, you know, in our community um, to really support our, 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 tra- our trans community right now. Mm. And, you know, I feel like quite literally the world is on fire. <laughs> so um yeah just yeah, wanted... in the same way there's you have mansplaining we also have cisplaining as well mm. we have we have non-trans people cis people telling me how how it should be and telling yeah. me I've, I've even had people telling me what my experience should be and so we've got to be really careful as allies we don't we know our place and we've got to yeah. listen before we speak sometimes and and, and yeah. amplify what we're saying not try yeah. and talk over us yeah absolutely so on that term right because some people might not know that term cis and trans do you want to just maybe explain the 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 term cis and trans and also can i just get your point of view what do you think of the word cis i know there's been a little bit of and i say this from more of a policy writing lens um the word using that word in say normal organizational settings um what's your kind of view on that um well so first of all trans is latin it comes from the meaning on the other side of. So we mm. have transport, transatlantic. We use trans as a prefix in our language all the time. So trans woman, trans man means someone who's uh, who was assigned man at birth, a mm. trans woman assigned man at birth. So their, their, their gender identity today is different to that assigned at birth. A trans okay. masculine person was assigned female at birth. So it's, it's on the other side of. Mm. So Latin, it means on yeah. the same side. So yeah, okay. You're assigned female at birth, you're female. You're assigned male at birth, you're, you're male. Yeah. Um, so in our language, we tend not to give the default a name. It just is. Yeah. It's like if you think about football, we have we have football and women's football. We don't have men's football and women's football. We just have football right. and women's yeah. football. So yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, in tennis, we have men's, men's finals and women's finals. Tennis is different. Cricket, I think, is a bit different. But many, we don't give a name to the default. And, and when you're used to living in a world where you're the default, suddenly giving your na- your identity a name that you didn't mm. you didn't want to own suddenly feels like oppression, doesn't it? Suddenly feels like yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So I know I know that some people see the word, the word cis woman, cis female, cisgender as being weaponized and sort of like, hang on a minute, I'm just a woman. I don't need to be a, a cis woman. I'm, I'm a yeah. woman. So I respect the fact that there are, what we don't want to do is create lots of friction and, and, and another argument probably gets so hung up in, with acronyms and labels and names. But the other thing is, if we're talking, if we're talking about, say, white people and black people, and we talk about the acronym BAME, and <laughs> minority ethnic. What we're saying is, we have white people and not white people. Nobody yeah. wants to be not. Nobody wants to be not something. Yeah. So if I refer to you as, as as someone who's trans or not trans, yeah. So I'm now judging myself about being not or being yeah. it. So it's mm. so in a way, I can just I can just say I I often say I when I talk about in context, I say we've got trans women and people who are not trans uh, who are women. Uh, rather than using cis, so I'm trying to use trying to, as as many kind of ways of describing something, so that everybody feels included. Mm. It's uh, it, it, this this big debate around uh, language in hospitals. You know, uh, a person who gives birth, and, and, yeah, and many okay. women are, are going, "Hang on a minute, I'm a woman. I'm a, I'm a mum. I want to be a woman. I want to be a mum." And I, I have a complete respect that you want to be a mum, you want to be a woman. So I would say, uh, this ward is for women and other people who give birth. And, yeah. and I, hate, I hate the word other as well because we don't want to be other so other, women yeah. and people giving birth so maybe just the and yeah. so it's yeah. just trying to almost like do all the touch points that everybody feels then themselves represented and identified without removing the words that they identify with because we don't want to create inclusion by excluding yeah That's the danger sometimes we we trigger reactions and it's it's often the media. The media pick up on this bullshit. Yeah, they're trying to create wedge issues and division, and they're trying to start up arguments. They want people to click on the advertising. They want to get brainwashed into having fights and, and on Twitter and stuff mm. to share their content and drive mm. more advertising. Mm. So we've got to stop reacting to this. So the, the purpose is is to make people feel included, and the purpose, is, the, the intent is never to exclude. And yeah, the papers will always pick up, or the media will always pick up on that divisive issue when no intent for division was, was ever intended. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um yeah, I, I mean uh, there isn't really much to, to to for me to wrap up with there in in in, in all of the feet kind of your your um uh your insight you provided. It's been an absolute honor to to have you on the program and especially to close off our, our first ever series um i'll say you know i'm so proud that you're part of my queer family <laughs> and um thank you for being um an incredible guest on the show an incredible guest for season one of, of rainbows and bullshit thank you it's been an honor and uh I'm, I'm, i've actually enjoyed getting this off my chest because i've been bottling up for a couple of days so yeah thank you for giving me uh, an opportunity to uh Absolutely. Well, listen, this is what... And you're a great friend, great ally. Yeah. Well, it's absolute... And right back at you. Um, That is a wrap, everyone, for season one of Rovers and Bullshit. I'm literally getting quite emotional. I just wanted to, again, thank everyone (laughs) um, for for being on my show for listening to my show for sharing my you know my podcast with with friends and family i i, I oh god so much love and i want to end the this this species with nothing but love so i'm sending everyone listening right now all over the world hopefully <laughs> lots and lots of love and i will can't wait to kick off season two so i'll be back in october and stay tuned have an incredible summer stay safe everyone and speak soon Thank <laughs> you.